Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Over the course of this series, Level Up, uh, we've talked about a few video game ideas that we are using as, as basically a, an illustration for us. Uh, I know growing up playing video games, there were many times that I would play and I would get to a point, I'd get to a level that I would stall out because the levels would get increasingly difficult from level to level. And then I would get to a level and I just couldn't go any further. I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the abilities, I didn't have the know-how. And so I, I just got frustrated. And a lot of times I would quit a game, just stop playing it because I couldn't advance. And I think for many people, life is this way as well. Um, we, we advance and we're maturing, we're developing and we get to a level and we stall out. We get to a level and it gets hard because if we're going to be honest, life is hard, right? There's like five of us life is hard for. Everybody else loves like life is easy. We need you guys to start leading some small groups for us. If you think life is easy, we need your help. Life is hard. Marriage is hard. Um, being a grown-up is hard, right? We get to a level and we get stuck. And too many times we stall out or we just go forget it. I'm not going to try to advance any further. This is all there is. And I think God wants more for us than to stall out at a level. He wants us to go to another level. We're going to see that today. And so really this series is all about how do we go to the next level? Uh, week one, we talked about this idea in video games, how we respawn, we get a do-over, we get a, a fresh life. And in Christ Jesus, there is new life in him that we get to respawn. We get to start over with uh, more intelligence. Um, last weekend, Pastor Kim talked about the idea of how to defeat the end boss, that there's a, a boss at the end of each level that sometimes you have to defeat to go to the next level. And we put the pressure on ourselves that we have to be the hero and we have to defeat the boss, but the good news for us is we don't have the ability to defeat the boss. David didn't defeat Goliath. God used David to defeat Goliath. God won the victory that day. We don't have to beat the boss. We just have to be in alignment with the one who beats the boss. And that's, that's God. And so I'm thankful that God fights our battles for us, that he wins our victories. And today we're going to talk about this idea from video games, this idea of multiplayer. Growing up, played a lot of video games, but the very first that I know of multiplayer video game that was widely produced, was produced by Atari, and it was a game called Pong. Does anybody remember Pong? <laughs> wow, some Pong fans in the room. They're like, yeah, Pong. Okay, well, Pong was the most rudimentary video game you could possibly imagine. Uh, it was black and white, black background, and there were white characters on the screen and the characters were literally a line down the middle that represented a net that was not actually there. It was all two-dimensional. There were lines on each side that would go up and down on the screen. And then there was a white dot in the middle that would go back and forth and it represented the ping pong ball. And on the console itself, my dad came home from a garage sale and he bought Pong at a garage sale for me. And I hooked it up to the TV and I was enthralled with Pong. And the console itself... I think it had a power button and it might have had a reset button. I don't remember. But then it had two knobs on each side of the console and that's how you would control your, your paddle. And literally it would just go up and down. So it was a ball, a dot that would bounce back and forth and you had to hit it. And if you didn't, it would do book, 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 book. That's what it would do. But it would get hinky, it'd start bouncing everywhere. And it was impossible to control. 
But I would play that game for hours. You'd compete against your buddy. It was great. And there's lots of multiplayer games through the years, games like, that I played growing up, like Goldeneye. I don't know if you remember, Goldeneye was a game, that four-person James Bond shooter. It was fun. I loved it when I was college age. Um, but there's lots of multiplayer games through the years. Uh, one of the most popular in the last probably five or ten years is a game that maybe has cursed your children called Fortnite. Some of you are like, oh, help me, Jesus, Right? <laughs> So just for the record, uh, my girls played it for a while, and, uh, and both of them did just fine. Uh, I myself am terrible at that game, but I would play it with my girls because they enjoyed it. And so, um, so one time, Abby and I, we were playing duo, we were playing together, and there's a, there's a cooperative multiplayer, so you can play against people or you can play with people. And in this particular case, I was playing with Abby against everyone else. And in this format, what it is, is it's, it's basically an island, and all these people are dropped on this island, and your job is to be the last person alive on the game. So you, you kill everybody else on the game. Don't judge me. I promise it's going to get worse. (laughs) So I said this before, I stink at the game. So our strategy is let's hide. And when somebody's coming by, we shoot them when they're not paying attention to us. Right? We ambush them. That's what we do. And, and on this island, there's a circle that is shrinking. So it's forcing all the combatants into an area so that there's sure to be conflict. And so the circle shrinks and you have to advance further and further. And so what we would do is we would just hide. We'd hide in a bush and we'd advance. We'd move to another bush. We'd get closer and closer. And finally, these, this other duo is going by us and they don't see us. We're hidden. And I was like, Abby, we're going to get these guys, Okay. Okay, let's do it. Okay, let's go. On the count of three. One, two, three, go! And I run out and I start shooting them. I'm like, Abby, where are you? And they turn around and they kill me. And Abby is still hiding in the bushes. I'm like, Abby, what did you, why didn't you go? And she said, I was afraid, I'm sorry. Like, Abby, they're not in our living room. (laughs) This is a video game. (laughs) There's no risk here, right? And so she didn't just quit the game. She was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And I'm like, okay, it's fine. So she continues with the said strategy of hiding in the bushes. And so she, she keeps advancing. And we're seeing the number of competitors in the game. It keeps going down, fewer and fewer and fewer. Finally, there are two people left in the game, Abby and this other guy. And she is hiding in the bushes. She's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It gets down to the final circle. Like it's shrunk. And she's sitting there just hiding in the bushes. And all of a sudden, we see out of the corner of her screen, the other player emerges. And he's like right there next to her, but he doesn't see her. And she's like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And I was like, just calm down, baby. It's going to be okay. Just relax. This is not my proudest pastor moment. But it might be my proudest dad moment. I said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to turn slowly, and you're going to stand up, and you're going to shoot him in the head. Again, not my most sanctified moment in the world. So she starts doing it. About that time, like you could tell that he saw her emerging. He starts moving. And then I get excited. I start going, shoot him in the head. Shoot him in the head. And my baby shot him in the head. (sighs) So she does. She, I mean, let's be honest. It was a lucky shot. (laughs) 
she, she had one kill in the game and it was the last one, so that's all that counted. But as soon as it happened, we jumped up off the couch. We're like, oh my gosh. We were jumping up and down. We took a picture of the screen to commemorate. We were like, we did it, right? It was this big moment that she had won and we were celebrating. Now, not every multiplayer game is competitive. Um, a lot of them are cooperative, like that when you work with people. And there's some games that you're working with people, and, if, and the game has been designed in such a way that if you don't work with people, if you try to play it solo, it is impossible to advance in the game. That, that progress is impossible unless you work with others. And I, I would tell you that I believe that our faith and the work of God on planet earth is actually multiplayer and it's cooperative. That there are levels we get to in our life and we stall out because we are not intended to play solo, we're intended to play multiplayer cooperative. And it's impossible for us to go to the next level, it's impossible for us to do what God wants us to do if we're not willing to work with people and let them work with us. And that's really what we're talking about today. So I'm gonna start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and he is describing uh, the work of the spirit in the church and how there are different parts and functions and all these kind of things. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we, shall, uh, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would anyone hear? If, if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts of the body, uh, many parts but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. What Paul's saying is every part of the body of, uh, is vital, and every part of the body of Christ is vital as well. See, there are, there are parts of our body that, that you might consider useless, um, like your appendix. And I actually heard doctors say, like, ah, we don't really know what it's for. Does that concern anyone else? <laughs> Medical science still has no explanation for that. They're like, yeah, we'll just take it out. What they're saying is it's spare parts, right? Eh, it's not really useful. Have you, ever, have you ever had to build something? Maybe it was a piece of furniture from Ikea and you finish and you've got a pile of parts and you're like, that's concerning, right? Huh, I wonder if this bookshelf is actually gonna function without all these parts attached to it. Maybe, maybe it was a Christmas Eve and you've got a Barbie dream house to assemble in four hours and all the instructions are in Mandarin Chinese. <laughs> and you finish Barbie's dream house and you look over and there's all these pieces. You're like, Barbie's almost dream house, right? 
I don't know what to do with these. I'm not taking this back apart to put these back in. It'll be fine. It's good enough. What do you have? You have spare parts. And I think many people, when it comes to the body of Christ, we go, I'm a spare part. I don't preach and I don't sing and I don't lead a small group. So I'm a spare part. I'm unnecessary. I'm the appendix. And I want you to hear this. In the body of Christ, there are no spare parts. Every part is vital. Every part is important. Every part helps the whole function the way it's intended to function. If you walked into the office or walked into class on Monday morning and somebody walks in behind you and they're like, hey, what's going on? You're like, why are you dragging your foot behind you? You're like, no, I'm not dragging my foot. Yeah, you are. What is wrong with your leg? Nothing's wrong with my leg. My leg's perfect. You're like, no, 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 your other leg. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I've got another leg. I don't need this one. You'd be like, you are insane. Something is wrong with you, right? You, you need to get your leg checked out because you can't walk like a normal person. You look like an extra from The Walking Dead, right? Like you're just dragging your leg along behind you. You need to get that examined. You're not functioning the way you're supposed to function. And we can be in denial all we want. No, my leg's great. I got a good leg. You know what's going to happen? Your good leg's going to get in trouble because it's compensating for your bad leg. And yet this is what happens for so many of us. We go, man, our church is good. We have service and preaching and worship and small groups and outreach and youth ministry and kids ministry. We, We started a location in Blairsville. Things are good. But this is what I want you to hear. Not all of our parts are functioning the way they're supposed to. And we can be relatively healthy, but we'll never be as healthy as we could be if all the parts were functioning the way they were supposed to function. There are no useless parts in the body of Christ. See, if a part of the body is not functioning, it's a sign that something's wrong. If your heart begins to beat out of rhythm, your doctor will say, go to the emergency room right now. If, if you start having problems with your capacity, your brain function, your doctor will be like, go to the emergency room right now. If you're struggling to breathe and there's problems with your lungs, it's an emergent situation, right? And so many times we don't understand that the body of Christ, if there's any unhealthiness with the individual parts, it creates an emergent situation. Because as serious as my personal health is, We're talking about eternity in our community. And if we're not functioning the way God intends us to function, people's eternities are the thing that's on the line. Every part is vital. No matter what your role is in the body of Christ, your role is important. And let me help you with this. This isn't meant to be condemning. If you think your role is to show up on the weekend to come to church, that's great. I'm so glad you're here. And when I say you need to be serving, it's not because we need more kids workers. It's because you need it for you. We'll come back to that in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, I continue on. It says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles and prophets and teachers, then those who do miracles and those who have the gift of healing. And some of you are like, I don't have any of that. What am I supposed to do? Good news. The next one says, those who can help others. Maybe you don't have the supernatural gift of healing or, or doing signs or wonders or miracles, but, but I bet you could help somebody. 
He says those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we uh, all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all, and he transitions to the next, next chapter. What does he say? So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And these gifts are not just helpful for you. They are helpful for the body. So when you're not functioning in the role that God wants you to function in, you're not just robbing yourself, you are robbing the body of being as healthy as it could could be. That's what I want you to understand. Church is multiplayer, but church isn't just multiplayer. Our faith is multiplayer. Your faith is not just about you growing and you going to the next level and you maturing, yes, but, but people are required to help you go to the next level. I've said this so many times since I've been the pastor here. We grow in the context of our relationships. If I asked you to tell me the five most important sermons you've ever heard, you couldn't name them. But if I asked you to tell me the five people who have impacted your life the most, you could name them. Because we grow in the context of relationships. And relationships are vital for us to go to the next level. Um, I gotta confess something to you. Um, when I was a kid, I was the first kid on my block, then don't, don't misunderstand this. I was the first kid on my block to get a Nintendo Entertainment System, the old school, original 8-bit Nintendo. And it was not because we were the wealthiest family, it was because my mom saved for a year so that when it came out, she could afford to get it for me. And they gave it to me for Christmas, it was awesome, you know, changed my life, right? And so my friends, they would come to my house, to hang out. I became the cool kid because I had a Nintendo. So they would come over and my best friend, his name's Chad Rourke. Uh, Chad, would, he lived like around the block from me and he would come over and we would play, we'd play Nintendo. And I only had a few games at the time, but one of the games that came with a console was a game called Duck Hunt. Does anybody remember Duck Hunt? Oh, yeah. The point of the game was to hunt ducks. <laughs> Hence the name, right? And you had this laser gun that like literally you'd plug it into the console and you would shoot, point at the TV and shoot the targets. And these ducks would fly up and you'd shoot the ducks. And it was two player, but you took turns. So the first person would shoot the ducks and you'd hand it, the next person would shoot the ducks. But here's a trick most people didn't know. It was actually multiplayer because the controller, if you had the controller plugged into the second port, When the ducks were flying, the controller would control the ducks. So this is what I would do. I would be like, Chad, let's play duck hunt. Okay, great. Be like, here we go. And the ducks would come out and boo, boo, boo. Spin it and put it in the holster. It's like a gunslinger in the old west. No problem. So I'm like, Chad, your turn. Chad would get it. I'd get the controller and I'd kind of turn to the side. And the ducks would come out and I would start controlling the ducks. And the ducks would juke and jive their way all over that screen and he would miss them all. And afterwards, you know, we were eight. He would be like, I can't believe what just happened there. My ducks move different than yours. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. Like something wrong with the gun? I don't even know. And I'd get it and I'd do it. And he'd get it again. I'd control the ducks and they would be going all over the place. Like they were running down the street, avoiding gunfire, like zigging and zagging. Like that's what it was like. He would get so angry. And I'd be like, well, I mean, 
It's not my fault I'm just that much better than you, man. I'm sorry, I hate that. And Chad, I want you to know if you're watching this right now, I'm so sorry. He's probably in therapy because of what I did to him over that. Um, but this is the thing, this is the thing I realized. I had the ability to make his, his experience harder or easier. Because what if I would have said, dude, let me control the duck for you. I got this. I'm going to fly in a straight line. You're going to kill this. But I didn't. I made it harder for him so that I could succeed. And what if in life, what if our job is to make it easier for other people to win? What if we took as much pleasure in seeing someone else level up as we did in our own success? And this is maturity. This is growth. This is important for us. What we see in the Apostle Paul, and I might, we might explore this in more detail at some point, but the Apostle Paul, it's interesting because uh, around AD 55 in 1 Corinthians, he writes to the Corinthian church and he calls himself the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all the apostles. And then we see a little later in uh, Ephesians around AD 60, he says, I am the least of all saints. And then we see in 1 Timothy in AD 62, he says, I am the least of all sinners. Do you see a pattern here? As Paul's maturing in his faith, his pride seems to be going down and down and down. Because once he was the least of all the apostles, then the saints, then the sinners. And this is what we have to understand about Christian maturity. As we level up, our pride goes down. As we level up, we raise other people up. As we level up in maturity, it becomes less about us winning and more about others winning. And the apostle Paul understood this. That's why it wasn't about him being the least of all the, the apostles. He was saying, I'm the least of all sinners. That is what makes it possible for us to help other people win, is when we mature in our faith. So what we need are good teammates. I think there's application here today, whether you are on a team at work, in school, maybe it's even your family, your marriage. Because we need good teammates. Ephesians chapter four, Paul's writing to the, uh, the church at Ephesus. And he says this to the, the believers that are there. He says, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love making allowances for each other's faults. The first thing I would say that a, a good teammate does is a good teammate does not expect perfection. This is one of the problems in relationships that we have many times is that we expect people to be perfect. We don't give them any grace, any room. We don't make allowance for their faults. And so when they have a fault, it, it blows up relationships. We see this, see this all the time in the world we live in today where there is so little grace extended. We find out that somebody on Facebook posted an article and they voted for the other candidate that I voted for. And now it's like blocked, relationship ended, right? Why? Because we give so little room for grace there. We expect people to be perfect. This is problems in marriage is people get into marriage and they, they get married, think that everything's going to be perfect all the time. And this weekend, Kim and I celebrated 22 years of marriage. And I want you to know it hasn't always been perfect. And one of the things that's helped us in our marriage is that we make allowance for imperfection. We make allowance for the other person's faults. And I know you're not supposed to say that because you're supposed to say, well, my spouse is perfect. And Instagram is proof that my marriage is perfect and we don't have any issues. That's junk, by the way. 
Mature believers will make allowance for other people's faults. When somebody messes up, we'll go, you know what, I expected that. It doesn't mean we lower expectations and let people act like animals and fools. It means we still have good expectations, but part of that is going, I expect you to be imperfect. As we are pursuing Christ, we're still gonna mess up. We're still gonna say stupid things and do stupid things. And I expect that of people. And that helps me be more patient because now I can be patient because I go, well, they just did what people do. People do stupid things, right? Including me. So I wanna, I wanna receive grace, so I wanna extend grace too. And a good teammate does not expect perfection. If you want your marriage to be better, do you want me to help you with this? Make allowance for their faults. Understand they're gonna be imperfect. Again, it doesn't excuse sinful behavior, but it helps us be patient with each other. In the body of Christ, our, our relationships will be so much better if we'd simply make allowance for each other's faults. Don't expect perfection. Extend grace. Verse three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Paul is really encouraging the church at Ephesus to be united. He says it's important. He says make every effort to keep yourselves united. Make every effort to keep yourselves united. Does that sound like it's something that's easy to do if he has to say make every effort? No, it doesn't come naturally for us to be united with people who are different than us and think different than us. And have maybe some different values, maybe some different political stances, maybe came from different backgrounds. That's why we have to make every effort. So the second thing a good teammate does is a good teammate works for unity. Works for unity. Do you know why we said works? Because it's hard. Have you looked around lately? Unity is hard work. Unity is hard work in your family. It's hard Unity is hard in the school system. I get weekly emails, sometimes daily emails from Mike Vukovic, the, the Indiana School District superintendent. And by the way, he's a fellow believer. And I, <laughs> I don't envy that guy's job. What a terrible job he's got because he's making everybody mad. We should be wearing masks all the time. We should never be wearing masks. They're all mad. We should require vaccines. Nobody should be vaccines. Everybody's mad. Everybody's upset. They're, they're making hateful phone calls and that's a horrible job. Do you know what I do? I, pr I pray for him pretty regularly. What a terrible job he's got. Because there are some things he's done that I don't necessarily agree with. There's some stances he's taken that I don't necessarily agree with, but there are some things that are more important than him doing exactly what I want, and that's, are we moving in the right direction? So I pray. I pray for him to help us have unity in the schools. <laughs> unity is hard work in our culture. It seems impossible, but it's not. It's hard work. That's why we make every effort to keep ourselves united in this culture. Unity is hard in, in, in church. Even though we believe 
similar things and we have similar goals. We're pulling in the same direction. Unity is hard. And I want you to know this. It's easier to end relationship than it is to work for unity. That's why so many people divorce because it's like, oh, we could fix our marriage, but that sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) We're good. Man, we could fix the problem we have in our church, but that sounds like a lot of work. We could fix the problem in my workplace, but that sounds like a lot of work. So I'm just gonna quit and find another job. Unity is hard work, but it is worth it. And I want you to understand this. Unity is not uniformity. It's, it's, unity is being different and still agreeing on the destination. Hey, we're gonna have different ideas and different goals and we're not, maybe not even gonna agree on how we're getting there, but we're gonna agree on where we're going and we're gonna figure this out. Um, one of the things, when I watch sports, like the NBA, one of the things that used to frustrate me is you've got these guys that make millions and millions and millions of dollars, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. And they're playing basketball and they are shooting a free throw and they shoot the free throw and it clanks. They just brick, they miss. Sometimes they airball. And without fail, they miss. And the other guys that are there, their teammates will come over and give them five. Like, hey, good job, good job. And I'm like, why are they telling them good job? Why are they... They should be ignoring him. They should shame him to better performance. Like they just avert their eyes. They just act like he's not there until he makes one, right? Then you give him five. And um, I went to one of my daughters, Emma, one of her volleyball games. I, I think it was a scrimmage. And one of her friends had missed the practice before the volleyball game. And so she couldn't play in the game because that's, that's the rules. And so she still attended the game. She sat and watched And I have been given orders not to cheer at Emma's events for whatever reason. I can't imagine why she would not want me cheering for her. So I watch silently and passively and I'll clap, but I don't get very involved in the cheering. But during the game, Emma was playing and every time Emma was involved in the play, I could hear her friend Brinley say, Good job, Emma. Great job. That's okay. Don't worry. Every time. She's sitting on the sidelines. She's not even playing the game, but she's cheering my daughter on. And as a father, I was so grateful for that, for a friend like that. And we gave her a ride home after the game. And I I said, Brent, I want you to know something. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for cheering her on, even though you didn't have to. Thank you that even though you're on the sidelines, you didn't say, well, I'm just checking out. I don't have to be here. I don't have to pay attention. You were engaged and you were cheering my daughter on. And I think our heavenly father does the same thing. I think when we will cheer each other on, even when maybe we're on the sidelines, I think our heavenly father's moved by that. I think he feels like I felt probably where he's like, yes, They get it, that it's not about you, it's about us. And you know what that does? It brings unity. Whenever we cheer people on, even though we're not getting the glory or the credit, it brings unity to the body. Whenever other people succeed and we're able to celebrate with them, when other church does something great and we can say, good job, do you know what it does? It brings unity to the body. And that's not easy, it's hard work. But it's worth it and that's why Paul tells the Ephesians to make every effort 
to work hard for unity. The problem is we don't do this. We don't work hard for unity. We don't have hard conversations in our marriage because it's too hard. We don't say, this is how I really feel. Can we work through this together? And we're gonna talk in a minute about truth and love in verse 15. But we don't speak truth and love to people because we don't wanna hurt their feelings or maybe we're just uncomfortable saying what's going on in our hearts. So what do we do? We don't do the hard work. We, we, we follow our feelings instead. So we don't reconcile, we don't bring healing, we don't bring unity, and as a result, it births mediocrity. See, prioritizing a short-term feeling over long-term results will lead to mediocrity. It'll lead to mediocrity in your marriage, it'll lead to mediocrity in your church, it'll lead to mediocrity in your walk with Christ when we value our feelings over what God wants to do long-term. Because it is hard doing that, it's hard engaging, it's hard releasing ourselves to God and letting him do the work in us he wants to do, but it's worth it. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. So did you see what he said? There are different roles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And he said there, there are gifts to the church, but their job is not to perform for the church. Did you know that? My, my job, my primary job scripturally is not to preach on Sunday or on Saturday. My primary job is to, another version says, train up the saints for the work of ministry. My job is to help equip, equip our team who helps equip the body to, to walk in everything God has called you to do and be. That's why I said earlier that when we say, hey, you need to go to growth track, you need to find a place to serve, it's not because we need somebody else to run the camera. It's because God has purposed you to use your giftings and your abilities and your talents for his glory. And when you're not doing that, you're not functioning in full maximum health and the body's not functioning in full maximum health. It's not just about we need you sign up today. It's about you're leaving something on the table in your walk with Christ because we want to raise you up and we want you to see that there are lots of different roles and this is what a good teammate does. A good teammate understands and values different roles. I said this intentionally, understands and values different roles. It's one thing to understand that there are different roles. It's another thing to value that there are different roles. I, I love, um, as Ben Roethlisberger has gotten older, it's, it's fun to see his maturity. By the way, that guy's a believer as well. He's, he, he's serving God. Uh, I know his pastor and he's making some strides to grow in his faith. It's really cool to see. And this guy has matured to the point that early on in his career, he was brash, he was arrogant. But you hear him now, and he's buying gifts for his offensive linemen because <laughs> he knows that although their roles are different, their role is vital to make his role possible. If he has no offensive linemen, he will be a pancake. There will be zero passing yards because every bone in his body will be broken. He understands that. So he just doesn't understand that there are different roles. He values different roles. And too many times we understand that there are different roles, but we value them very, very differently. And we go, well, hey, clearly the pastor's most important because he's the pastor and he's on stage and he preaches. So that's the most important. And every role is valuable. Did you know we couldn't stream these services if we didn't have people running cameras? 
We couldn't stream these services if we didn't have somebody up in our tech booth running, our production booth uh, running, our web audio, the mixing, the audio for people that are watching online. We've got people that make coffee so you can drink coffee when you walk into this place. And that doesn't sound like a big deal. Some of you guys wanted to fight somebody when you found out we didn't have coffee a while back. All those things matter. It's pretty convenient to be able to drop your kids off at kids' church, isn't it? But somebody's got to show up prepared to teach and train your kids. That role is vital. It's important. What if you showed up next weekend and they're like, nope, you can't drop your kids off this week? You'd realize how vital and important that role is, wouldn't you? Every role is valuable. They do different things and it's fine, but every role is valuable. But we can't just be one thing. Paul said, like we read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said the body has many different parts, but God has put each part just where he wants it. God has put each part where he wants it. He has designed the body well. He said, how strange a body would be if it only had one part. (laughs) Anybody remember the Adams family? So the old school Adams family, like I would watch these black and white reruns on television before I'd go to school in the morning. And I didn't even think about it until just a couple of years ago. Um, Thing was a character on the show. He was part of their family, but Thing was just a hand. Literally was just a hand was all he was. Um, and in the old school show, a lot of times he was in a box. And so like he'd be on a table, like in a box. And I realize now it's because the guy that was the hand was under the table with his hand out. How would you like to be that actor? And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm on television shows. And you're like, oh really, who do you play? I'm like, well, I'm on the Adams Family. Oh, what's your part? I'm, I'm Thing. See, like, you know, <laughs> just the hand. And we can laugh and we go, oh, that's funny. But I'm telling you this, if you're walking down Philadelphia Street in Indiana or Market Street in Blairsville and you saw a hand walking down the street, you would not be like, oh my gosh, it's Thing from Adam's Family. You would scoop up your children and run for your life because there's a hand walking down the street. And this is how so many churches function, so many families function, so many companies function. We function with a focus on one part of the body and that's it. And it's unhealthy and it's not godly. And there's so much more for us than that because our church is a church that has many different parts, but we function as one body. We've got pastors and staff and board and we've got a dream team. We've got people in all different places and they perform different functions and they serve in different roles and they're doing what God's called them to do and it's what makes our body healthy. But we can't all be the senior pastor. We can't all be the lead singer, we can't all be whatever it is. We have to understand what our role is, what God has gifted us and called us to do. And then we say, God, I'm gonna do it really well. Let me move on, verse 13. This will continue. So the ministers will continue to encourage the work and equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This, in my opinion, this is for us, we believe in progressive sanctification. What that means is um, when we come to faith in Christ, it begins this process of us growing in our faith. 
And that, if I can say it this way, um, as we grow in our faith, we go to different levels. We, we grow more and more, but we don't come to full maturity in Christ until we are face-to-face with Christ in heaven. That's when our, our, our walk is perfected in him. So if you are still breathing in and out, no matter how old you are, there's another level for you to go to. He says, then you'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the culture we live in today? One of the things that grieves my heart as a pastor is when I see people that are part of this church or part of the church, the big C church, people that are part of churches I've been around before, believers that I know that get blown by every wind that comes their way. And some of it is through um, teachers or pastors or preachers or evangelists that they found online that, that occupies the airwaves and they will swallow it hook, line, and sinker. And just because they have a platform doesn't mean that they're godly. But sometimes their, their lies are so slick that it's easy to believe. It sounds like truth, right? It's not just preachers. There's so many people that have believed political lies on the right and the left, far right and far left. There are conspiracy theories. There are things going on that I go, oh, why? Why are we just swallowing this down? I think people are so thirsty for truth that they will swallow anything that even sounds like it could be true. And I don't want this to be condemning. I I want it to be helpful. The people that I've seen that are, are typically the most angry and the most vocal on either end of the political spectrum are typically people I would say are probably immature in their faith. And I don't want that to be condemning because if that's you, I don't want you to feel like I'm just dropping the hammer on you. Um, but what's happened is because of our immaturity, um, we get blown by every wind that comes our way and, and we start repeating things that we feel like are true, we feel like are true because they sound true, they seem true. And the reality is um, we have become untethered and it's our maturity in Christ that tethers us to what is objective truth. And so if you're somebody who struggles with that, I would encourage you, turn off your television, turn off your news feed, start pressing into Christ, and I promise you will begin to grow. You'll begin to mature. You're gonna be able to know what truth really is. He said instead, so instead of being blown around like by every wind, he says instead, we will speak the truth in love. So what is he saying? Instead of being immature, we're gonna be mature. And in our maturity, we will speak the truth in love. See, that is hard to do. Immature people will not speak the truth in love because it's hard to do. Immature people will always take an easier path than the hard path. Immature people um, will always do what's expedient rather than what is best. 
And if we're mature, we're going to speak truth and love to people. This is growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. As each part does what it was designed to do, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As each part works and functions the way it was designed to work and function, it helps the whole body be healthier. And not only is it healthier, we function in love. We are full of love. This is true in your family. It's true in our church. It's true in your workplace. That when everybody is doing the part that they're supposed to be doing, we function the way God wants us to function. And the last thing I would tell you is a good teammate values our win over my win. It's not about what part I play. It's about what is our body doing? Are we growing? Are we developing? Are we seeing God work? See, one of my favorite things about being the pastor here at Summit, um, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I've got favorites. Some of my favorites are the people that have been part of our church for a long time. Um, the people that have been part of our church since we were on Church Street. Some of the people that, that did the hard work so that we could enjoy what we get to enjoy today. People that they gave their time and they gave their dollars and they gave their, their abilities and they prayed and sought God and they believed that someday there would be a church and that they would be a church that would be a ascending church, that we would send missionaries, that we would send people to plant churches, that we would be doing some of the things we're doing today. And it's fun to see how they've responded to that. But this is the thing that's interesting. Most of the people who are part of our church then, that are still part of our church today, their role looks very different. Because 25 years ago, some of them were leading ministries. They were the director of our kids' ministry, or they were leading worship, or they were board members, or they were people that have significant voice in our church. Maybe they were part of constructing this facility because they built it from scratch. And as time has gone by, their roles have shifted. And that's hard. My oldest Abby, um, she's in Florida going to school. I'm so proud of her. But my role in her life has changed. See, when she was born, she could do nothing, right? I had to feed her. We had to bathe her. Kim or I, we had to do everything for her in order for her to survive. And then as she got older, she became more independent. She needed us differently. And today she's living 1,100 miles away, and she really doesn't need much. But she'll still call me once in a while and go, Daddy, what do I do about? How do I handle, what do I? So this is what I know. I'm still important. I'm still vital. She just needs me differently than she did before. And that's not easy for me because I miss my baby. But I'm so glad to see what she's becoming and what God's doing in her life. And I can celebrate that in her. Well, I still kind of grieve that maybe I'm not as useful as I once was. But the goal isn't for me to be useful forever. The goal is for her to grow and develop and mature and become the woman of God that she wants to be, that God wants her to be. 
And I'm grateful for men and women whose maybe their, their roles look different now than they did at one point, but they can celebrate and go, look at what God is doing. I'm grateful for, for guys like Tom Sellers. Tom and Mary, I don't even know. They're here this weekend. They might be in Blairsville, but God, I love those guys. They've been such an important part of our church for so many years. And a few years ago, I went to Tom and then I said, hey, Tom, have you ever thought about teaching in kids ministry? He's like, no, I have not. I said, would you? And he prayed about it and he's leading kids. He's one of our teachers in our large group in kids church. And the kids love him and he loves it. And he does a great job, but that is not what he was doing years ago. He was a board member. He, he was praying about big things, doing big things, but today he can celebrate because he says, it's not about me, it's about the kingdom. It's about the we win and not the me win. And a good teammate will do that. See, when Abby won Fortnite, I was excited. And it wasn't because I was on the team, so I got part of the credit, that wasn't what it was about. I was excited because she was excited. I could get excited because I love her and when she succeeds, it brings me joy. So what is the key to us cheering somebody else on? What is the key for, for us to help somebody else to go to the next level? The key is love. I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 to you earlier, it said this, so you should earnestly desire the most, uh, the most helpful gifts that we help others, right? But then it says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't know 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. It's read at weddings all the time. But it's not about marriage. Paul is writing this in the context of how the church gets along. How do we get along together? How do we function as one body in the church when we are so different politically and ethnically and all kinds of different things divide us? How do we do this? And he says, this is how you do it. You love each other really, really well. And then he says, this is what love is. Verse four says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never uh, loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. This is how we do it. It's, it's because we love. We don't have to agree on everything, but we have to love. How do I help people level up? I'm gonna love them so well that it's gonna spur something in me. I told you earlier, having the right teammates will help you level up, but being the right teammate will help everyone level up. Are you functioning the way that God has called you to function in this body? If not, there's no condemnation, it's time. It's amazing what God is doing through this church and through the church in our community. But how much more could we do if we weren't dragging our leg behind us? How much more could we do if, if all of our parts were functioning the way they're intended to function? How healthy could we be? How, how could we reach our county? How could we reach our region? How could we make a difference for the kingdom of God? I wanna challenge you in that way. I want you to go to the next level so badly. 
I want you to take people with you to the next level. I want our church to go to the next level. And I want you to know this, that has nothing to do with attendance. It has everything to do with spiritual impact in our region. That's what I want. That's what God wants. My prayer is that you want that as well. I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out the rest of our time and give you an opportunity to respond. But I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Today, it's pretty simple. Uh, If you want to go to the next level, you need the right team to do it. You need people around you that can spur you on and do things you can't do, encourage you, speak into you, challenge you. You need that. But they need you as well. There's somebody who needs to go to the next level and they are waiting on you to show up in their life and to speak into it and to challenge them and to be the person they need as well. It takes all of us. So will you find your place? Will you find your part? Will you do it? Whatever it is, no matter how big it might seem or how small it might seem, will you say, God, here I am, use me. Whatever you want, I'm yours. It begins with us having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate teammate. He's the one who, who takes us from hell to heaven, from death and the grave to life. So I wanna give you that opportunity. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray that you would speak life into us today. I pray that there'd be no condemnation, there'd be no guilt. But God, I pray that you would help us see that there is a calling that rests on each of us, not just people that are called to to vocational ministry, but God, you've called each and every one of us to step into whatever it is you have for us. That we are part of the body and you're asking us to function the way we're designed to function. So God, I pray that that no one in this place, no one watching online would imagine themselves as the spare parts, as the appendix or whatever it might be. Help us to see that every one of us are vital. Every one of us are important. Every one of us are necessary to make sure the whole is healthy. God, I pray that you'd help us be the, the first clappers. Help us to be the people that will cheer on others as they are succeeding and doing well and going to the next level, even at times when we're stuck. God, I pray that you surround us with people that help us go to the next level, but even more than that, help us be people that will help people go to the next level. Help us to facilitate that. Help us to make that easier instead of harder for others. But God, I pray right now for those that don't know you, that aren't in a relationship with you, let today be the day they surrender to your lordship and kingship, that they discover how good it is to be a follower of Christ, to know you and to be known by you. So God, draw us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I pray that, uh, that God is speaking to you. That's my heart. And I believe he is. And if you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not in a relationship with God, but I know I need to be. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer to, to surrender your life to Christ, to his lordship, would you just slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, I see you. Who else would say, Mel, pray for me? I wanna be included in that prayer. Yeah, thank you on my right. Thanks so much. Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raise your hand or not, I want you to say a really simple prayer with me out loud. Um, 
book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want you to pray this with me. And I don't want you to repeat a prayer. I, I want you to mean it from your heart. So don't just say it mindlessly, but really pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my old life and I'm chasing after you. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today, can't we? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, we would love to help you go to the next level in your faith journey. And so the simplest thing for you to do would be to fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and then just take it to our information center when we finish here. Or if you'd like, or if you're watching online, you can simply text the word Summit PA to the number 94000 and select the prompt that says salvation. Let us know about your decision. We're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So thank you for that. I'm gonna pray a final prayer blessing over you as we're dismissed. And as I'm doing that, our prayer team and some of our staff are gonna join me up here. And they're gonna be available to pray with you no matter what your need may be. So if you'd like to be prayed with before you go today, please step out and make your way forward as we're being dismissed. And one of our team would love to agree with you in prayer. So let me pray for you as our team joins me. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done in this place. Thank you for people who said yes to you, that have recommitted their lives to you, that have, that have surrendered their lives maybe for the first time. And God, I pray as we walk out of this place today, we would walk in the confidence knowing that you have called us, that we are part of the body. And Lord, that, that there is something powerful you wanna accomplish through us in the world today. So God, I pray that we would not be victims, that we would be conquerors in the name of Jesus, that we would see you move and work. And then God, everywhere we go, we would see your power on display. So God, work in us, in our workplaces, in our school, wherever we go for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you and have an awesome week.